This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. From the 55-yard line, it is full-color football here on Gridiron America Radio, and I am pleased to introduce to you a podcast, uh, an interview I did this morning with Brett Forrest, the author of Long Bomb, uh, detailed history of the XFL, the first version of the XFL. Uh, his book has recently been re-released. It's now also available in addition to hardcover, which you can still find, the original it's now also available in Kindle and audiobook and also in paperback. So please enjoy this conversation I had with Brett this morning. And uh, without further ado, on to the interview. The XFL is going to be the extra fun league. <laughs> Some have called it an unprecedented television event. Others have called it a desperate ploy for ratings. They hate me, baby. They hate me. The XFL is accused of selling out the dark side of gratuitous violence, tawdry titillation, lousy football, and scripted low-life garbage. Get up and get out there! Anything McMahon touches turns to you-know-what. This will be a blast. An anxious nation awaits. Well, good afternoon, Brett. Um, is it? It's afternoon there. It's about five o'clock there, and uh, out on the East Coast, right? That's right. That's right. We're we're. Uh, it's it's one of those um, you know Sunday late afternoon, early evening where you can start getting that feeling like, oh no, work week is coming back. Oh yeah, I I know that feeling well. It's yeah. Monday morning, early Monday morning here in Japan. So. Uh, the workday is upon. I can actually hear outside the house. I can hear, you know, Monday already starting up on the highway. So, so it. yeah, no, thanks for sitting down with me. And um, yeah, before we went on, actually before, right as I was waking up, I was going through the, going through the, uh, your Kindle, your new Kindle, the new Kindle edition of your book and everything looking actually in what I, I was looking at was the quotes by people who read your book three and, you know, Chris Berman and those guys. And the one thing that has come, the one word that stood out to me in all those reviews about the XFL and about your book was you basically showed the hubris of Vince McMahon and everybody associated with the league. So first question, though, is how did the, the, the new book come about? The, the revised book, the, the, the reissue of the book, I should say. Sure. Great question. Greg, uh, just thank you very much for having me on. It's it's great to have a chance to talk about all this stuff because this book is near and dear to me. 
um you know it came out so long ago now and it's uh it's great that uh, the xfl came back for the third time and, and has given us a chance to to discuss all these interesting uh, topics so uh yeah the, so basically when i heard that the rock had 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 bought and partners had bought uh, the xfl and were were uh, planning to launch it relaunch it for that third time i thought you know the original book had only come out in hardcover and I had um, I had gotten the rights back from the publisher, and I said let's let's go ahead and put it out in the three other versions. I recorded an audio book, and and we did the the ebook and the paperback, and I just figured, um, you know, it's 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 such an interesting sports topic. I mean, it was such a flash in the pan, but it it it, it was it was. It, it it tried to reinvent the way that we watch sports on TV. It's failed spectacularly, um, but it kind of remains this curious little thing in in American sports history. And uh, and I thought that it would uh, reissuing the book would give me an opportunity to put a new forward in there that would give twenty years perspective on the league. You know, right. now we can actually look back and say, all right, it didn't work. It failed terribly, but what did it give us? And it actually gave us a few interesting things that that uh, still remain with us today on uh, on TV sports. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I, and so and 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 it was very much it was an experiment, obviously. That yeah, to this day, I mean, every new iteration, every new football league brings some new iteration that you know big league adopts and then allows us not only so much football but all the other sports too. Um, when um, you started the book, you were a young guy and you moved and you moved out to Vegas and you followed the, the Vegas team. Um, tell, tell, let's start from there in terms of you were there at the very beginning, you witnessed it. Mm -hmm. What was it like? What was that experience at that first? And did, were you going to all the training camps too beforehand and, and watching that and talking to the coaches and Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it goes back just a touch before that. So I was living in New York and I was a, a freelance magazine writer back in the days when you could actually make a living doing that. Um, and uh, I got an assignment from a, a magazine to go, uh, well, to to write about this new football league that was uh, just coming together. This was before the league started. And, um, and I went out to Vegas. And I went to practices and I remember sitting on the bleachers at the practice field and uh, up walks Dick Butkus onto the bleachers. There's like nobody really else there. And, uh, and I just walk, walked over, introduced myself and found him to be, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he looks very intimidating and we all know his, his uh, football past, but he's just a very open, normal, cool guy. Uh, yeah. And so I started chatting with him there, and and, and the, my main question was, why would a guy like Dick Butkus, who is, you know, in the book, I call him like the face of pro football, yeah. uh, why would he get involved with Vince McMahon? That was the the, the question I, I wanted to know, I wanted to answer, because Vince, as we know, ha was a wrestling promoter. He'd come, you know, his product was staged, you know? Right. Um, so why... Why, why did Dick Butkus want to uh, work for, for Vince McMahon? That's kind of where it started. Um, I remember on the plane ride back to New York for, after reporting that magazine article thinking, you know what, this could be an interesting book because what Dick Ebersol, who was the president of NBC Sports, and Vince McMahon are doing or trying to do 
is is uh, completely reinvent reinvent sports for TV, um, much like uh, Monday foot Monday Night Football on right. ABC, uh, which was led by Rune Arledge, who was the mentor to to Dick Ibersall in his younger career. Um, much like Monday Night Football, really did reinvent um, the way we watched sports on TV. Vince and and Dick were were trying to do the same thing with the XFL. So I thought, if this thing works. It, it, it could be a hell of a book, you know, and, and if it doesn't, that could, that could be kind of funny and interesting as well. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where it began. And I, okay. you know, I got the book deal and, um, and I just thought, man, uh, well, two things I thought about Vegas. I thought it, it's a great uh, setting yeah. because Vince and, or Dick, and Dick, I mean, not to be too, but you know, they're making, they're making a big gamble here. They're taking a big right. gamble. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I just want to live in Vegas. I thought it'd be <laughs> cool. So I thought it would it would give uh, more color to the to the book, uh, at least the portions of it in which I talk about the players. Yeah. And uh yeah, so during those those first days, what what was the feel? Was there excitement or I mean, we saw I mean, all I know is what I saw on TV and what I read behind the scenes with your book. But what was it like being there? Did did were there hints that this might at the very beginning, this might not come up, not might go as well as, as hoped or. Well, yeah, it's, it was actually very interesting because if you, anyone who was around back then and remembers the, 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 before the league began, the fact that it was NBC married with the WWF, as it was called then, you know, they were the 50, they were each co-owners at 50% of the league. Uh, so the fact that that they owned it um, meant that they had uh, the desire and, and and the ability to to publicize it before it began in right. a way that that probably nothing's ever been publicized before, you know. Because also this was in, in the days when uh, the stock market was on a, an incredible boom. Uh, right. Vince McMahon had taken WWF public, and uh, and the stock listing. The uh, stock value had made him a billionaire, mm-hmm. um, and his the WWF at that point w- was its most popular in, in its history. Yeah, so there were an incredible amount of eyeballs watching what Vince was doing. Dick Ebersol, of course, had you know had the power of NBC behind him, so they hyped it and hyped it and hyped it, and it got re- everybody really interested. Yeah, and um, you know, it wasn't like saying we're going to launch the Arena League. You know, people, a lot of people thought, like I did, this thing actually could be revolutionary. It, mm-hmm. it might work. And so the first game took place at Vegas, in Vegas. Yeah. And it was, you know, locally, it was a sellout. And, um, and it, it drew a huge rating. It drew a huge rating for the first half. Because people came in huge numbers, and what they saw displeased them. Yeah, and it was not a good game. I mean, I was, uh, you know, you and I were part of those eyeballs. Well, you were actually, I'm, I'm assuming you were at the game, right? I wasn't at the game. I was <clears throat> signing the the book deal and was, uh, I headed out like a couple of days later to Vegas. Oh, uh, so okay. TV yes. like everyone else. Yeah. So, and, yeah, uh, I mean, but yeah. yeah, people, if I remember correctly, people were tuning out after that first half. Um, they were. Because they were. of the, ga- the yeah. game itself, it was very uncompetitive. Yes. And that's the thing. I mean, when when uh, the ratings came out and were released publicly in the days following the yeah. game, NBC and WWF, 
made a big deal about them because the, um, they had get guaranteed advertisers a certain a certain number. Right. And for the first game, the first game rating was was well above that number. Mm-hmm. So they they touted that number, but privately in the offices, they knew looking more closely at the data that it didn't bode well. Because as you as you mentioned, immediately people started tuning out yeah. because because it didn't reinvent the way we watch football. Right. And not only that, it was kind of hokey because the the bits that that Vince kind of imported from pro wrestling didn't really mesh with real football so it was a disjointed effort but that also goes goes back into um uh how the how the league was was uh, conceived right uh, and how much time they gave themselves to actually put it together yeah. it was a bit of a rush job yeah and and for for those who don't know I mean, I learned through your book. I mean, I would always heard rumors. Now, again, this was before we had Twitter and before we had social media. I mean, the world that we live in now is so much different yep. than what it was back then. Big time, yeah. But there's that whole CFL Toronto Argonauts component that, honestly, when I read your, when I read your book after right after, I'm like, I didn't know that. That made <laughs> Oh, okay. because the question that I had when that league first started up now, I was in my late early thirties getting ready. I, uh, you know, was in literally in between jobs, same career, yeah. different agencies. And I'm like, why would he start up a league? I mean, that was my question. Why? I mean, w- cause again, the USFL, the world league of American football did not work. Why is this happening? But, you know, explain, cause there's that, the Toronto Argonauts, and I don't know how much how much you follow the CFL right now, but um, you know the Toronto Argonauts are uh, the, the flagship franchise of the CFL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've always struggled. They've been struggling at the gate for years now. Yeah, uh, but back then, yeah, they were the Canadian Football League has always had its its financial issues and struggles, but it's always muddled through. But back then, Vince wanted to buy the wanted to buy the Argos. What happened from there? Well, you know, it's 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 a fascinating backstory, and that's that's what I love about doing this kind of work is that you you know you get paid to to look into things, and uh, and and often you uncover these just fascinating aspects of of these stories that you think you know, but then they kind of blossom into something else. So it actually starts a little bit before that. So okay. Vince Vince wanted to buy an NFL team. Vince McMahon wanted to be an NFL owner, and the Minnesota Vikings were for sale and he tried hard to make that happen for himself but the thing is the um the other owners the other nfl owners you know this is a a select club right and um you know they they didn't much care for vince and he felt snubbed by the experience um and it was shortly after that that the cfl and the argos approached vince Oh, okay. They approached him and they asked him if he'd be interested in buying the Toronto Argonauts. Okay. It's been a long time. So my apologies. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Well, it gets more interesting actually, (laughs) because Vince said, you know, I'm not interested in buying the Argonauts, but you know what I am interested in? I'd like to buy the CFL. So he tried to buy the entire CFL. Um, Now remember he'd just become a billionaire 
he was more successful in his uh, pro wrestling business and, and all, all the other uh, side businesses that he he uh, developed off of that than he'd ever been. Uh, so you, we get back to this hubris that we talked about, right? Right. Um, I mean, hubris maybe is a bit judgmental, but let's say confidence. He was very confident, right? Yeah. Um, and he had big ideas. Um, you know, I, I think it's great when people have big ideas. Mm-hmm. His big idea was I want to, I want to, if I can't own an NFL team, I want to own the CFL. Well, the CFL, they talked back and forth with him on it and they, they declined his offer. So at that point, Vince is already really revved up on the pro football idea. He's tried two different things. They haven't worked out. He's determined to do it. Um, and then he found a perfect partner in NBC, which we can discuss. Yeah. And him and Ebersol had been friends. If I'm not, if I'm, if I remember correctly, they had been friends well before this whole, the football league, they had been, cause would they got back and I remember back in, uh, back in high school, they mm-hmm. had, uh, was it Saturday night? Oh yeah. It was Saturday night wrestling that, that was on, on NBC mm-hmm. when Saturday night live was, you know, on high was, was on hiatus or reruns. Is that where that friendship started? Yeah, it's actually a very interesting story. I, I might get the name incorrect, but I think it was called Saturday Night Main Event. That's right. Yeah, it was. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds I, right. I'm sure that's what it was. I would love to be corrected on that if that's wrong. But but this, you know, that's an interesting story because what happened was um, uh, Vince McMahon in the 80s. You remember in the, in the 80s, pro wrestling, he brought pro wrestling to another level of sort of broad societal right. acceptance and popularity yeah. Yeah. with Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik and all those crazy as a, characters. As right? a high school student, I went to uh, yeah. several wrestling uh, wrestling, uh, wrestling events up at yeah. uh, the Allstate Arena up in Chicago. So I remember well, yeah. It was back in the 80s. And that's the thing. We live in such a different world now. Yeah. But people forget how well, we only had so many channels, so many cable channels, we didn't have social media, so what you saw on TV was pretty much, but yeah, it wrestling yeah. just exploded. And that first WrestleMania was a big deal. The second, and it just kept getting bigger. And that, yeah, and that was Vince. That was Vince yeah. McMahon. I mean, he was he was incredibly effective um, and creative, and he was a huge success. And his idea was, you know, let's further take take uh, pro wrestling. Because if if I can go back just a touch, you know, yeah. pro wrestling in, you know, in sort of toward the turn of the century and, and up to like World War II and even after, pro wrestling was actually really popular in the United States. Yeah. But then it kind of went through a downturn and it became kind of ghettoized. He mm-hmm. brought it out of that. He made it broadly popular. And now he wanted to take it. He wanted to put it on network TV. And Dick Ebersol was the head of... Um, I can't remember exactly his job title because he was at one point he was uh, in the entertainment division. He had been uh, instrumental in creating Saturday Night Live with Lorne Mark, uh, Lorne Michaels, and uh, but but later switched to the sports division. Right. Anyhow, Vince McMahon proposes this to um, contacts at his at NBC. the The request makes its way to Dick Ebersol. He's never met Vince McMahon, and he and he he thinks it's ridiculous. He says, "No way in hell am I going to do that." And uh, 
The next day, he's walking down a hallway in NBC in one of the buildings, I think at 30 Rock. And he runs into David Letterman. And he says, hey, David, you'll never believe this. That guy, Vince McMahon, you know, that crazy wrestling guy, he, he, he wants to put something on NBC. And David Letterman said, well, hold on a second. He said, actually, Vince and I have the same agent. And uh, it's not a crazy idea. And he, and he reminded Dick Ebersol, and he reminded uh, Ebersol that, that Letterman had had some of his biggest ratings when Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler oh, yeah. went on the show. And they had concocted that whole feud. Remember, uh, Andy yep. wrestling women, and then uh, uh-huh. then he, he finally wrestled Jerry Lawler, and and Lawler won. And and I remember Kaufman was on uh, Letterman's show with a neck brace. Yeah, Lawler slapped him. I yeah. mean, it was great slapstick comedy, you know. And people weren't sure if it was real. So Letterman reminded Ebersol, "Hold on a second. This stuff is actually kind of funny. Not only that, it's really popular." Right. So that made Dick Ebersol think twice. He called Vince McMahon in for a meeting. And they hit it off instantly and became, you know, fast friends. And then, you know, they agreed to put it on the network. Okay. Yeah. It's, and we, you know, we saw that friendship come through in that documentary, what, about five years ago. So that's always been a part of, I mean, that part of the story is one of those that um, it's interesting because it's just, it's, there's a friendship and it, you know, going to that documentary you know, they, people talk about it and write about it, but when you see those two talking, yeah, these guys are genuinely friends. They genuinely, genuinely like, and even love each other. I mean, as, 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 as buddies can be. So, True. um, so when, okay. So we, week one kicked off, the warning signs were there from there, take us through. And we got, there's 10 weeks and obviously we're not going to go week by week. On, right. Excuse me. Talking here. So kind of what happened next after the week one? Where did kind of things flow from there? Well, the TV professionals in the room, um, and I'm talking about mostly the people at NBC, they realized pretty much right away that they had a serious problem on their hands. Because the, the, the main mistake, I mean, there were many mistakes that, that uh, these guys made, but the main mistake, I think, was putting it on network TV in prime time. Because when you put it in that time slot, um, the bar for success is very high mm-hmm. uh, in terms of viewership. If they had started out when this was Vince's original plan on cable, then they could have they could have developed an audience over time, possibly. Right. But uh, but when you when you get set up on Saturday night on NBC you know, in prime time, uh, you you don't you, you don't have time to develop anything. Yeah. You have to deliver almost immediately and uh and then people at nbc saw uh what what we just discussed which is a huge opening rating uh decreasing rapidly throughout the game mm-hmm. um so from then on it was kind of like they you know they they had been strapped into the roller coaster and there was no way off of it uh, yeah. and they just had to ride the thing out uh, because fundamentally what you had was you had sort of poorly conceived comic bits paired with what essentially was minor league football right and it just didn't really fly yeah i mean you had jesse ventura in the booth which added an element yeah jesse's entertaining um and he is you know i mean does know his football i mean we do know that from previous years if i remember correctly he was calling games for the tampa bay buccaneers 
under his uh not under his stage name but whatever i forget his real name way back in the day so we he knew his football but it but when they had him in the booth it was the wrestler jesse ventura and it yeah. just yeah it came off as yeah it was not a good was not a good look yeah i mean the, the thing that i think one of the many things that people forget about the league is that jesse ventura was uh while he was calling the games for the xfl he was the governor of minnesota yeah <laughs> It's yeah. crazy when you think back on it, yeah. but I like Jesse. Uh, I've always been a fan of his. Yeah, I, I got to speak with him a couple of times when I was reporting the the, the book. Uh, he was very gracious, um, and I have a lot of respect for him. I mean, the, the guy was a Navy SEAL. Yeah, uh, has great success uh, as a pro wrestler, and and transitioned into a movie actor, and then yeah. politics. I mean, everywhere he's gone, he's been very. Oh successful. yeah, yeah. So I I love the idea of of his getting involved. There were sort of two two problems. One is that, um, you, as you pointed out, he wasn't really calling football. He was he was trying to be a heel. He often. was playing the. He was being the body. Yeah, yeah. He was being the body, and uh, and the other thing is that, um, you know, you, he was the color commentator. So you needed you needed actual play by play announcers, real professional right. uh, television play by play announcers, but no real experienced uh, people like that wanted to go anywhere near a project that involved Vince McMahon. For example, like Bob Costas worked for NBC at the time. There was absolutely no way he was going to get involved with this. So what they ended up with was a guy who's, who's gone on to a really great career since the XFL named Matt Vescursion. But when he, when he was working um, as play-by-play guy for the XFL, he wasn't very experienced. Right. You know? Um, he was also feeling, I think, a little intimidated by Vince McMahon, who was often in his ear during games telling him, like, say this now. <laughs> and so that, yeah, and that's exactly why uh, a lot of guys in his uh, shoes didn't want to want to take the job. But so so you basically had this inexperienced guy who was a little bit rattled. Yeah. With Jesse, the body who was being the body. So it, everything was all confused and muddled. Yeah. And the only thing missing, I think, at the time really was mean Gene Okerlund. It seemed like <laughs> right. that was the one missing part. Like we, we had everything else. I mean, we had the cheerleaders like pro- they promised, which, you know, really now looking back at it, very cringeworthy. Just the yeah. things yeah. that, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, it's funny. You think about me and Gene, um, maybe do, you, do we need to explain who that is for people? You listening? might have to, we might have to, you and I both obviously are of the same age and, and, yeah. and mean, well, you explain. You probably you okay. So it mean, better Gene, than me. mean Gene played like the sort of um, straight announcer for WWF. Like he would he would go to the wrestlers between matches as if it was a real interview, and he he was basically the guy who would who would give the each wrestler a chance to fulminate and yell and scream and and uh, you know exact uh, talk about vendettas and all that. Uh, and then he would give some sort of pronouncement. But I remember he would always stand there and he was a balding man. And uh, you'd have like Hulk Hogan or something uh, standing next to him and always, you know, mean Gene, I'll tell you this, mean Gene, I'll tell you that. So, um, but it's interesting you mentioned it because what if they had had him uh, during the 2001 XFL? And what if the players had bought into that? Because I think I think ultimately that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, that's a it good was point. supposed to be, you know, the, the playing football, coming yeah. off the field, and talking to a mean Gene Oakland type figure, uh, kind of as a wrestler. Yeah, but 
but being a pro football player and that never materialized yeah yeah that's a good point yeah and with you know had mean gene been part of that it might have i mean it might yeah very well i mean you just you never it's kind of like a funny what if because yeah he brought on the and when when it came to wrestling broadcast i like to watch what was going on with mean gene how he handled the whole circus around him and he was able to direct traffic and it worked yeah. well, but yeah. 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 But the thing is he had, he had willing partners and um, right. You know, it's interesting to think about because like, think back, I'm just, just as an example, think back to like the 1970s Oakland Raiders and right. all the characters they had on their team um, and their, their teams back then. I mean, these guys who were, they were tough on the field. They were sometimes dirty on the field and they, um, and some of these guys, when they came off the field, they spoke their minds. You know, right. that that type of pro athlete is is gone. Yeah. The type of pro athlete who's candid, um, who's you know, fearless behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, nearly all of our pro athletes now are, are so watered down. They do all this media training. They're, you know, they're they're trained not to say anything that's going to get them into trouble or or yeah. really show any of their character at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think I think. And and that dates back to two thousand one, also. And so I think, I think that hope that uh, or plan that 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 was going to come about is you know a little bit anachronistic. Yeah, and two, you also had coaches. I mean, you had me, uh, um, Jesse trying to go. I think it was the New York coach into right. some type of. I forget exactly the nature of it. That and he, the coach, wanted nothing to do with it. Made it very clear. And yeah. Well, you know, that goes back to your earlier question, uh, kind of where where did things go after week one showed itself mm-hmm. to be kind of like a harbinger of things to come? Well, they, you know, that was one thing that they cooked up. They thought, well, if we can get Jesse to start some kind of feud with the coach of the New York team, maybe people will think that's interesting and, and tune right. in. Um and and it kind of it was so transparent what they were trying to do on yeah. air as a viewer, uh, and it, it just you know it just never worked because uh, the coach he's he's a football coach yeah. and he and he knew because I remember I talked to him a few times and he knew that the league you know might not last you know, to put it charitably right and he was going to go have to look for another job yeah. and if uh, and if potential employers associated him with some sort of you know sort of clownish behavior with jesse ventura that was going to limit his opportunities right and going to and 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 talking about that with with people i mean the sports section the the sports people did not cover the xfl at all a little bit a little bit they didn't they didn't cut. You're right. Actually, I think there's an important dis- uh, distinction. Most of them did not cover it like they would the established sports leagues. Right. That's, that yeah, I mean. that's what I was trying to say. By that, I mean, yeah, like, sorry to cut you off there. I, oh, no, it's OK. By that, I mean, like they weren't sending beat writers to the games. They right. wrote about the XFL. Everybody wrote about the XFL. Right. But it was more more to sort of like dance on Vince McMahon's grave. Yeah as as the uh, ratings went you know further south week by week yeah i know in chicago it, it was covered but yeah there was always it was towards the back oh yeah here's what's going on. oh they're practicing in a park nice yeah this isn't <laughs> it was one of the, the it wasn't so much what was said it was the tone of how it was said and um that seemed to be 
as the weeks went on, the headlines and back in the newspapers when people read newspapers, yeah, um, that was the, the the constant tone every Monday as to uh, this is not going well. This does not look good. And I can't remember. So there was a game. It was a Saturday night game that went over. And you had Saturday Night Live was scheduled to go live that night. That explain how that went, because that did not go well. No, it didn't go well. And I'm trying to remember it was um, uh, Jennifer Lopez, I think, was the the host. And this was when Jennifer Lopez was was just becoming this huge star in in both music and movies. Um, Probably sort of the most exciting person that they had to host uh, the show that year. And uh, and she had a new movie coming out. So it was a big opportunity for her as well. Uh, And, uh, you know, when they originally discussed the, the idea of the league at NBC, they had to speak with Lauren Michaels because they were putting... And Lauren Michaels is sort of the, the, the creator and the, the executive producer. Right. So they had to speak with him because they were putting the XFL uh, right before the uh, uh, local evening news. So if, if Navy parlance, it, they were they were about ready to move into his lane. Exactly. Exactly. So the XFL would was supposed to end at, a, at like a, a 11. And then all local stations would cut to their local news from 11 to 1130. And Saturday Night Live comes on then. Well, Lauren Michaels was concerned, rightfully so, as it turned out, that uh, he's like, okay, well, this is this isn't like a sitcom where we know where it's like pre-recorded. This is a live event, and we don't know when it's going to end, really. Yeah. So, can you give me some guarantees that it's not going to push into Saturday Night Live? And and they, you know, Ebersol, quote unquote, guaranteed it. Um, but what happened was that week that game went into overtime. Now, uh, so so eventually, what happened was it 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 pushed the the local evening news back, and then the start time of Saturday Night Live was pushed back. So it, it meant that as a viewer on the East Coast uh, or in the Eastern Time Zone, you it didn't start for you until after midnight Saturday Night Live, okay. and and uh, and Lauren Michaels was steamed. Now they couldn't they couldn't cut the game. Because there's a there's a there's a regulation with the FCC going back again to the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, and the New York Jets game, the Heidi game. Mean. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, they the, the Raiders had been down by a lot of points late in the game, and and they cut away to this movie Heidi, and then the Raiders came back and won. So ever since that point, um, uh, the networks aren't allowed to cut away from games. So. Um, so anyway, yeah. So so basically, the XFL started started like uh, negatively impacting NBC NBC's real business. If right. Know. And was that did after was that before? And I can't remember. Was that before or after? Going back to talking about Bob Costas. Yeah. Where Vince had that, uh, shall we say, very interesting interview with Bob Costas. Yeah. 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 Um, that uh, it's great. It's one of those things if you can find it on YouTube. It's fun to watch because the matter Vince gets, the calmer Costas gets. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's it's entertaining TV for sure. Uh, that 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 interview came after the SNL debacle, if I'm not okay. mistaken. And um, yeah, see see Bob Costas 
especially at that time. I mean, Bob Costas is sort of he's sort of out of our out of the limelight these days. But back then, he was you might say he was the number one sports yeah, yeah. in the country. Yeah, when uh, you, we heard Costas, you knew it was probably something. He's kind of like I wouldn't. I would say he's better, bigger than Joe Buck. But I mean, he's kind of like with Joe Buck today. You're Joe Buck. Oh, Joe, Joe Buck's associated, maybe with the, you know. But yeah, Costas, he was pretty big back in the day. Yeah, Costas was huge. It's interesting that you mentioned Joe Buck. I mean, I think, of course, they're different people. Uh, when you hear Joe Buck, you know it's a big event, right? But but Joe Buck isn't the journalist that Bob Costas is. Right. That's the difference. He's not the historian either, even though you know Buck has a bit of historian in him because of his dad in St. Louis sure. and growing up around baseball. But Costas, true historian, well, journalist, historian, broadcaster. I mean, yes, exactly. Now Joe Buck, I'm not. This is not a knock on him, but his style is more like he he promotes what you're watching, right? Right. Whereas Costas does that, but he also calls people out when he feels like it's necessary. Um, yeah. And he never was any kind of fan of Vince McMahon's. Um, and uh, and it's just like you said, it's great TV because he, he basically he, he, he gets McMahon in a small studio. They're sitting very close to one another. There's this I think there's a little coffee table. Between uh-huh. And um, and Costas just sort of like, you know, one one example after another, just just picks Vince apart uh, about the XFL but also about some things that he's seen on the WWF. Um, and, uh, and McMahon immediately falls into his, his Mr. McMahon character, you know, the boss that he played at WWF and tries to intimidate Costas by sort of inching his seat closer, get, you know, sort of becoming sort of like a more imposing physical figure Mm -hmm. yelling at him. And and like you said, it's it's really incredible because I think almost anybody in that situation, in Costas's uh, situation, would grow a little nervous, right? Yeah. Um, but Costas is so, he was such a professional, so smooth, and really stood his ground. It, it is great to watch. And do you think that was kind of the where you anybody who was watching, anybody who did, is that where I think we all knew that the end was not near for the league, or did that come later? Because because I get I get and the reason why I asked, pardon me, because NBC allowed that interview to happen in that way, or well, yeah, that and just the general overall feel like, oh, this is this is going to go south real quick, even further south. Yeah, well, I th- I think it is notable that that this interview took place on the very network that was broadcasting XFL games. Yeah, so. I know that there were a lot of people within NBC, uh, within NBC Sports and, and in NBC at large, who were really embarrassed by the XFL. And they thought that it was, um, it was costing the network some prestige. So I'm sure, and I, I don't know this for sure. I don't, I don't know this for sure. I haven't checked this. I didn't check it at the time. But I would imagine <laughs> that there were people who worked there who were glad, really glad that Bob Costas did that. Because it basically said, hey, Bob Costas represents NBC. You don't represent NBC. Right. Um, but, but look, I, I think certainly people who worked at, uh, at the network, they knew that this thing just wasn't, it, it wasn't viable. Um, right. and, but the people at WWF thought differently. Right. Because they knew, especially the people who were close to Vince and were uh, involved in the early development of the project, because they knew that the first 
the, you know, the original concept was to go on cable yeah. as I mentioned well, earlier. So, so they, a lot of people at the WWF said, okay, this first season is sort of a write-off because right. you see, they just, they, they turned some, this thing into something. It's not, yeah. let's go back to the original plan in season two and let's go on cable. And they were on other networks, UPN. And I think it was at the Nashville network at the time. Might have been. It was one of the other cable outlets. Mm-hmm. They had games. I mean, there was obviously only eight teams. So they had one game or maybe two games. I can't remember on NBC, but they were also having games on the other channels. And I remember watching them, you know, my Chicago apartment um, on UPN. So, I mean, I knew yeah. there were, it wasn't just, and obviously it just wasn't just NBC broadcasting right. the games, but NBC being the primary one. How, do you re- recall how the ratings were on those other? channels they were actually acceptable those ratings and by acceptable i mean uh some of these smaller cable channels they're they exist on this this broad landscape of of the cable world where programming that people are going to watch is sometimes hard to develop hard to buy that's right um so people were actually watching the x some xfl games on some of those networks to, to, to at numbers that were kind of pretty good and were yeah. better than some other programs that, that these uh, networks were running. Right. Yeah. It just seemed to me, I mean, it just seemed like it was a better product on the other channels. I don't know if it was just the feel. I mean, maybe I don't remember why I felt that way, but um, I do recall watching a San Francisco game and I think it may have been, there's a lot of talk right now, the game as we're talking the, uh, St. Louis Battlehawks are playing uh, apparently what the the Rock said is the largest spring crowd ever to witness a, uh, an XFL or a spring or a game in spring, which is a total lie. Hell, he didn't even remember the history of his own league because there was a game in San Francisco that I think that had about 38,000. So, um, so the games themselves, I mean, were relatively well attended by minor league football standards. Yeah, or even by CFL. I'm going to even use CFL standards because I, I love the CFL and I, they've always had attendance issues. But yeah. just looking at the attendance, they did well attendance wise. Um, but yeah, on those other channels, it seemed like they just it was better. I don't know for whatever reason, it just it didn't come off as gimmicky. And I guess that's yeah. that was what I remember. That's what I recall too. There seemed to be the fewer antics. Yeah, uh, and uh, NBC because because here's an, there's so many interesting aspects to this league and, and here's another one. So when things started going down the tubes, of course they were trying to figure out okay how do we is there a way to write the ship in the time remaining to us? Then um, about halfway through the season or so, Vince and uh, and Dick had you know had a lot of uh, conversations about this and and they were actually of different minds because Vince was looking at the numbers and doing focus groups and all that. And he decided that they had to get away, they had to do away with all the pro wrestling stuff. Mm -hmm. And they had to focus just on football because he thought that that's what viewers liked. And he thought that could retain viewers and maybe attract new ones. Whereas Dick Ebersol, strangely enough, the, you know, the established sports guy, he wanted to up all the crazy, you know, wrestling. Um, So they just couldn't come to an agreement and, uh, and and then it showed up. Yeah, and then ultimately, the season wound. Okay, so the seat we we get to, we're getting to the end here, getting to the playoffs, and then you got the million dollar game. Now I've watched that game on YouTube, 
and I, I don't see any crowd. I just see a TV because the way they did the angle did first my first question because I got up real er, early this morning, so I didn't have time. That was one of the questions I, I, I wanted to check before I talked to you. How many people went to that game? Do you recall? Well, I, I, I don't remember the number. I'd have to look in, in the book. I mean, it was a few years ago, yeah. but, I, but I myself was there. And I remember I wanted to go, I wanted to walk into, because it was the LA Coliseum, yeah. which everybody knows is, is this just enormous bowl. Right. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a miracle that it's still there because it's incredibly out of date. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it has a, a track around it. So the, the fans are quite far from the field. Um, but I remember walking into the stadium high atop the stadium, you know, one of the, the top tunnels there. And, and uh, it was just, there was nobody there. Oh nobody. I remember talking to one of the security guards, and and he said, "We get bigger crowds for high school football games here." <laughs> so, yeah, and I and I just also remember uh, eventually making my way to the uh, to the field, and um, and I saw Vince and Dick on the sideline. So I yeah. for, I walked up and just kind of stood next to them and kind of eavesdropped a little bit and and just was just watching like what what are their what's their mood yeah you know, this thing is over now this thing has been very embarrassing for them um and they seem kind of relieved yeah i mean you looked around the stadium there were some good players on the field the, the game as i recall right was pretty good. yeah and um you know guys who went to, on to play in the nfl but you looked around and it was there was just no one no one cared no what one if you, what if what if you threw a championship game and nobody showed up that's <laughs> right right it's uh, almost did you ever read george rr R. martin's short story the last super bowl no it sounds good though it, it, i'll uh yeah after we go offline i'll i'll get you the link uh, oh, please where do. you can where you can find it but it's it, it, that's what it reminds me of how that story starts <laughs> And yeah, what if you show you throw it and nobody shows up? So, but yeah, it's it's. it's so you said they looked relieved, and I don't remember how long after that game did they de- the the decision to pull the plug was made. Well, NBC uh, announced that decision quickly that it wasn't going to be on NBC, but uh, but the WWF people were determined to have a season, a second season on cable, as I mentioned. So they, yeah. Vince and uh, his folks were uh, they were negotiating with uh, the networks with these other these cable networks, right. um, and um, and it was it was also really it was connected to his uh, his his wrestling programs because. These deals, you know, these they're they're just interconnected. Like, okay, if you want if you want this wrestling program, you got to take the XFL and hear the ad rates and hear. Yeah. So it, it gets a little bit complicated, but it looked like it was going to happen. And Vince actually invited all of the coaches and all of the senior staff to Stanford, Connecticut, one week, um, where WWF headquarters are or were. And so they were planning sort of what's going to happen now during the offseason. They were thinking about the next draft they were going to have, uh, discussion of rule changes, um, you know, all those sorts of yeah. issues would go over. And um, so they all those guys were there. And um, when Vince came into one of these meeting rooms, and, and actually they were planning all to go to the Yankees game together that night. Mm. 
and they all had tickets. The, the, I think the vans were waiting outside. <laughs> Vince came in and he said, XFL's dead. Because what had happened was, uh, I think I'd have to go back to the book, but I believe it was UPN. UPN, uh, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, at that point, bought Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that, that does time, sound familiar. It put it in the time slot that the XFL was going to go into because yeah. it was simply a bigger draw. Right. And in the end, that's what killed the XFL the first time around, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah that's right. I do remember that now. You're bringing back. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And back then, I mean, it's not like you had streaming now to count on. I mean, things have changed so much yeah so fast forward and we'll fast forward here to got almost 20 years then vince decides to restart the xfl and clearly he learned lessons from the first go around and when that league kicked off i mean i followed that league the new league i'm like okay because i'm thinking oh well he clearly has learned his lessons from what he clearly read your book and learn lessons <laughs> because I don't think he needed to do that to realize how he'd messed oh. up. <laughs> well, your book is one of those where when again, you know, 20 social media is big and everybody's talking about I mean, there's a lot, there's a cult following of the XF of the original XFL. Okay. And now all these, you know, everybody's coming, oh, the XFL's back. Great, great, great. And I would be on social media going, Have you read Brett Forrest? book about the first league no okay maybe you should before you get too excited about what's coming up next but with you know with that said it clearly there were innovations that vince brought i mean the second time around was purely business he handed off to oliver luck you handle everything hell vince came out for a press conference and didn't wasn't playing uh the heel was playing the businessmen that we kind of all expected them to be. Um, And it seemed like, man, they had figured they had done their homework. They had done their marketing research, but obviously that all went to basically shit five weeks into the season because the world changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I don't, I don't hold that against them. Uh, The, the the failure of that iteration of the league. I mean, yeah. COVID COVID killed it. And right. right. Glad to see it come back because you know, I, I like I like it when people take chances and try new things. Yeah. I, I know that uh, maybe the majority of folks out there uh, think differently because they, they like to uh, pile on when somebody fails. Yeah. But, um, you know, you risk that potential failures is an essential and, part. Of it. Yeah. So, and it was I mean, for, for the product that was for the short time it was there it seemed like it was doing well. They had learned their lessons. Yep. Um, ratings were obviously better, even though, yeah. you know, from what I recall, ratings were starting to fall by the fifth week, but they weren't a massive drop-off yep. comparatively. And you had, for the most part, and I think most of the stadiums, decent crowds too. So yep. there, yep. there was, there was a momentum, but I would, but then pand- the pandemic hits and everything and, yeah, here we are, version 3.0. And before we end here, let's just, if you don't mind, let's. Have you watched any of the games so far? I have. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, the opening weekend, and then I've watched uh, games here and there, at least parts of them, as uh, you know, as the weeks progressed. And 
And um, the thing is, look, anytime you start something new, um, like like I'll here's a good example. Um, take take a popular TV show or a TV show that you really like. Right. Often, and not every time, but often, the first few episodes or even the first season, you know, the writers are still working out the kinks. They're still yeah. working with the characters, right? Kind of like it, Seinfeld. It was not exactly. a hit coming right out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Seinfeld didn't hit its stride until maybe like season three, four, five, something like that. Like the, you watch yeah. the first season of Seinfeld. It's it's, it's, it it's almost unwatchable now. Yeah, yeah. It's just because they're they're yeah. figuring out what it is, right? right. Um, and that's and that's a writers' room with maybe a dozen to twenty people in it. This yeah. is a football league with you know hundreds of people involved. Yeah, and uh, and it's not something you can script. So, right. um, you know, a, a league like this needs time to develop. Yeah. Yeah, all the people who are behind the scenes who are putting it together, they need to figure out how to work together and figure out what it, what this league is because it you know it starts out on the piece on a piece of paper, right? Then it becomes a living, breathing, breathing thing, mm-hmm. and um, and it needs and you know I'm not even talking about the the coaches and the players and all yeah. that. I mean, there's so many elements just from like you said coaching that, but then also the marketing side, the uh, the merchandising. Yep the advertisement um i know i get kind of get i you know on social media get kind of mouthy when it comes to a lot of things yeah but you know the marketing is a key component because i know like in the cfl it seems like there isn't marketing and cfl fans are very vocal about that so there's just so many elements to make a league but like you said it does take time it takes more than one season yep yeah and uh that i mean that was one thing that killed the i think the initial xfl uh i mean setting aside all the comedy that didn't honestly wasn't very funny um you know they they needed to take they should have taken more time to develop the league from the day that vince mcmahon announced the xfl uh, when he he didn't have nbc as a partner yet to the day that the first xfl game kicked off it was one year to the day yeah that's not enough time. That's not enough time. Especially when you, when your goal is to reinvent sports TV, you're going to do it in one year, right? Um, so I'm, I'm I'm glad to see that the XFL's back. I'm glad to see that it, they're focusing on straight football, um, and I hope that they're going to get uh, an opportunity to develop. Yeah, yeah, and uh, also too, you've got I think the XFL this time around benefits from having a competitor in the spring too. Because they're basically kind of able to learn from each other, mm. and you know, I mean, I mean, I would not be surprised in the next three years. Yeah, maybe those two leagues kind of come, you know, join forces and put their heads together and like, how do we make this work permanently? And we're talking, of course, about the U, the second version of the USFL. So, sure, sure. Um, before we we run, can you tell everybody how to find you, what you're working on? Obviously, now let me ask you this, because you. Yeah. You're a reporter, so your main beat then is national security. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and are uh, are able to pe- people able to find those articles online too? Because I always uh, I can't remember if the Wall Street Journal is paywalled or not. So that's why I'm asking. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Sometimes we drop that wall down, but uh, uh, yeah. So just just the basic rundown is I work at the Wall Street Journal. 
Uh, I'm, I'm part of our national security group. I, I do a lot of like Russia, Ukraine related stuff. Okay. Uh, I used to live over in that part of the world, actually okay. right after the uh, XFL book published oh, okay. in Moscow. And um, so, so yeah, so I, it's so all the articles that I write for the wall street journal are there on the site, easily uh, discoverable. And uh, of course I have all the regular stuff like Twitter and a website and all that. And, right. uh, and then the, and then uh, long bomb is um, as we talked about earlier is uh, I've reissued it just, yeah. just now. And um sort of like a 20th anniversary edition with a new forward uh, that, that sort of gives us an opportunity to look back at what the XFL gave us and at least the first, the first go around. And, um, and that, you know, we have that in, um, in uh, ebook and paperback and, and an audio book up on Amazon. It, it is nice to have finally a Kindle, a Kindle version of it. Cause it, that was one of those years was amongst many of those hardcover books that I had a part with before I came to Japan. I did yeah. give it to a good, I did give it, it's, you know, when it comes to books, I yeah. always treat books like puppies. Yeah. I yeah. want to give books to a good home and all my football books went to uh, a gentleman by the name of Randy Snow, host of the world of football podcast. Great guy. Oh, okay. And I remember, cause we were going through the books. I was even literally loading up his car, but then I go, have you ever read this book? No, I go, you need to read it. <laughs> and this was, this was over the summer before things. And yeah. so he took your book and many others back home and he did get oh, back great. with me and he goes, Oh my God, this is great. Uh, thanks. So, for yeah. yeah, no, I was, I, I always hate, I always hate it when I have a, a book by an author who I'm, I'm friends with and I have, and I yeah. have to part with it. I had to yeah. do that with Scott Adamson too. My, my co-host for, from the 55 yard line. I'm like, dude, yeah, you didn't have a Kindle version, so I had to give your hard copy away because I couldn't take it with me. <laughs> and it's like, well, I already read the book, so it's like I, I right. needed to give it to give it find a good home for it. So, well, that but, book, um, you know, it's, I, I'd get email messages from friends from time to time over the years uh, because the book went out of print, and they yeah. would, say, you know, the, your your uh, long bomb on Amazon is now they're, they're pricing it at like six hundred dollars or something. <laughs> They just weren't around. I said, well, it's certainly not worth that much. <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting. Old football books like yours. Yeah. It's no joke. I mean, um, the $1 league about the US. Oh, yeah. The yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. And the same when the getting when uh, when the getting's good about the World Football League. Yeah. Yours is in that category of mm. hard to find books. I mean, literally to me, your book is the definitive history of yeah. the XFL. And you write it in such a way your journalism background comes through. I mean, yeah. I love reading history books by journalists because it's just a different feel. It flows. <laughs> it, it part, it feels like a novel though. I know it's not a novel and I, it's all it's yeah. Yours with, with, without going too fanboy on you, yours was a great read. And I do appreciate, I did appreciate reading it well, and you. I'm looking, you know, I'm not, I'm working my way, you know, rereading it again too. So, but, um, well, I should tell Perfect. you also, I mean, just because yeah. we're talking about it, sorry to interrupt, but oh, I have no, a, new, okay. a new book coming out in a couple of months. So in May, I have a Which, book any, anything uh, you can reveal. Yeah. Yeah. That one's all up on Amazon as well for pre-order, but it's called Lost Sun. And um, I've spent years on it and it's an, it's an expansion of an article I did for the Wall Street Journal about a, um, a young man from Michigan who gets tangled up with the FBI, uh -huh. starts for them in um, counterterrorism, 
And then uh, when the war in Ukraine starts in 2014, not long after that, he he goes to Russia and disappears. And it's about the story. The book is about his parents' effort to find out what happened to him, uh, the FBI's sort of cover up of their uh, knowledge and involvement. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's really also just like a, a coming of age story of this young man. Um, and how he gets the uh, complete amateur, how he gets pulled into the world of profes- professional intelligence and uh, gets tangled up with uh, the Russian uh, war in Ukraine. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely take a look at it and, and pre-order it here. And we'll talk about it more after we hit the po- stop button on this because I can, <laughs> uh, you know, in my, form, in, my, in my former life, I was an intelligence officer with the Navy. So we'll talk more. Oh, the great. side of this. Oh, uh, I have some questions yeah. for you, man. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, Brett, thank you very much for, uh, for sitting down with me. And um, hey, everybody who's listening, thank you for listening. And we will be talking to you again very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Greg. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.